and a warm welcome back to all you woodchatters. I'm Georgia. Now, did you know an estimated 500,000 hectares of new softwood plantations is required if the industry is going to meet the increased demand forecast for Australia's domestic timber housing markets by 2045? At the same time, local and export demand for hardwood timber has also been growing strongly. However, a lack of new investment in plantations could mean Australia has to rely on an increasing amount of timber imports in the future. But could a helping hand to increase the local timber supply be on the way from an unfamiliar ally? That could very well be the case, according to one particular team of researchers. Sam headed out to do some investigating. That's right, Georgia. Today we're focusing on the development of new business models that could see areas of Australian farmland given a whole new purpose by utilising them to plant trees. That's right, a collaborative approach between forestry and agriculture is being proposed by a team of researchers who say it has the potential to yield financial, social and environmental benefits for both industries. The research was supported by Forest and Wood Products Australia, with funding from the Australian government and industry partners including Midway, Australian Paper 141, AKD Softwoods and HBP Plantations. The project was led by Professor Rodney Keenan of the University of Melbourne's School of Ecosystem and Forest Sciences. I caught up with Professor Keenan to find out more. Well, the aim of the project was to look at new types of investment models that might stimulate more planting of trees in rural landscapes in Australia. So what we were wanting to do is try and develop new types of models where growing commercial trees was better integrated with farming. You know, the background is that we're, we haven't seen any new plantations established for about 12 or 14 years now and the plantation estates actually going backwards to some of the hardwood plantations that were established in the 2000s as they're being harvested have been converted back to agriculture. The commercial imperatives were one aspect of the of the motivation for the research that you know, from my personal motivation I could see that there were real environmental and on-farm benefits of uh, incorporating more trees into farming systems. And why did you feel that was such an important area to look at? A strong motivator for me was to get more sustainable models for plantation investment that were going to last into the long term. You know, we'd seen these short-term waves of um, establishment occurring, but um, we haven't seen any sustained long-term commitment. And so the outcomes of the research have been potential models that could be followed to enable some of this collaboration between agriculture and the forestry industry. What was involved with getting to that point? Like, how did the research look? Well, the research had four broad components. The first was looking at the history of plantation investment. So we did a review of of past approaches and looked at what worked and what didn't and what was still relevant in the current circumstances. Then we also did a, 
uh, an assessment of the land base. So industry partners we were working with were focused on Western Victoria and the Gippsland regions. So we wanted to look at areas that were suitable for growing trees on um, private land, met certain conditions in terms of the productivity of the tree growth, but also from a commercial point of view. So we, we looked at the land base, found that you know, there were significant areas that were potentially profitable, around 2 million hectares altogether across those two regions. And then within those commercially profitable areas, we surveyed landowners, undertook social research to try and understand the attitudes to tree growing, what their past experiences were, and what their interests might be in different kinds of models. Rod suggested we talk to University of Melbourne School of Ecosystem and Forest Sciences Research Fellow, Dr Nerida Anderson, who focused a lot on the social research in the project. Nerida spoke to a number of landowners to ascertain what they perceive to be the main benefits and barriers to growing trees on their land. The barriers came in a number of different forms. Certainly one of the major barriers was time and the costs involved in establishing trees. Also, a perceived barrier with a lack of skill, not knowing how to um, how to get the best returns from planting trees. There was concern about uncertainty about what happens with the long-term growth of, of trees. There was also concerns about the opportunity cost of converting land that's currently being used for agricultural enterprises to forestry. So the returns that landowners saw had to be sort of at least commensurate with with sort of returns they would be getting for the agricultural use of that land. Almost all of the uh, landowners that I spoke to were able to identify a number of benefits of establishing trees on their land, of integrating the trees within their agricultural enterprise. This might be for um, improving productivity by reducing the amount of wind on the property or providing shade and shelter for livestock and also for pasture. Um, Also for controlling water um, and soil erosion. Some landowners commented on how much nicer it is going to work when there's um, trees in the landscape. These benefits did not tend to be assigned to commercial plantations, which seems to me to suggest that um, if you can align the plantings for forestry so that they can provide a number of these co-benefits to landowners, then this provides an opportunity where it's a win-win basically for the landowner and also for the, um, the people who are needing the, the timber resource. And so I think probably the main uh, take-homes is the need to have flexibility in the sorts of business models or investment models that are proposed. Some landowners want to have a lot of autonomy. Um, they want to make a lot of the decisions. Other landowners are quite happy to say, well, I, I don't want to have anything to do with it. I just want to, I just like to have the diversification of income and some sort of return from that. And so really... It's important when we're developing business models to, to be able to align the model with what the landowner is comfortable with. And now a bit more from Sam's chat with Professor Rodney Keenan, who shared details of some of the other tactics that were used by the team during the research. We did a survey of the finance sector where, um, because your know, capital is a, a limitation um, in a lot of these activities, so what kinds of models would the finance sector be interested in in putting money into? We know there's a lot of capital out there looking to invest in real assets. What kinds of constraints are around that capital? What kind of objectives are there for different types of investors? The last component was around the business model design where we brought together uh, landowners, industry players, other interested stakeholders into workshops 
And we took a kind of human-centered design approach using some consultants to facilitate that, to try and come up with these different types of models and identify what might work and uh, what things haven't worked in the past. And so the models themselves, are they pretty flexible? So they could be adapted to suit the specific needs of that particular landowner? Yeah, well, that was one of the key findings from the research. Rural landowners aren't a homogeneous group. They obviously have different types of land uses and agricultural systems, but they're also uh, in quite different circumstances financially, the nature of their farm operation, the scale of their operation, and also their life stage. You know, some farmers are relatively young, uh, not that many of them these days, and average age of the farming community is up around 60. So those older farmers are often thinking ahead around succession issues and if they're committing land to grow trees, it's a long-term investment. They need to consider what either the people who are going to inherit the property or future owners might um, think about having agreements associated with tree growing on their land. The agreements need to be flexible to accommodate all of those different kinds of circumstances that the farmers are in. And now that the models have been developed, what are the next steps? What needs to happen to get the buy-in of the agricultural sector and see some of these partnerships starting to emerge? Some of the investors in the project are actively taking the results and applying them at the moment. Midway, one of the main investors uh, actually out there in the farming community presenting these models to farmers and seeking opportunities to create partnerships and, and establish trees on, on farming land. Others, I guess, in particularly in the Gippsland area, are waiting for other opportunities to emerge. And the major one is that the Victorian government a few years ago committed $110 million to establish a plantation resource in Gippsland, in part to support the local industries there, including Australian Paper, one of the, um, one of the partners in the project. You know, some of these things could get incorporated into the design of the government program to support tree growing for plantations uh, for uh, wood supply. Wood processor Midway Limited was one of the project's major industry sponsors and CEO Tony Price told us a bit more about their involvement. The, the whole concept uh, or idea came about quite a few years ago when we were talking about you know, how we could take a different approach to getting trees in the landscape, particularly encouraging private landowners. So we were sort of wondering whether we couldn't just attack it from a different way and, uh, and, and bring landowners into, into the fold rather than um, be seen as the enemy, if you like. There's always a need for, for, for a contribution from industry, whether it be cash or kind or both. So we, uh, we lobbied a range of industry players. And as a result, they set up a steering committee, which I my sins was the chair of, and that's where the likes of Nerida, Rod, and a whole range of other parties were involved in uh, and gathering, firstly gathering historical information on what, what worked, what didn't, and then sort of came up with, a, with what we believe is a sort of a ready reckoner of options that people might like to consider. Midway sort of basically has progressed in, in discussions with landowners in parallel, I guess. Uh, we were sort of seeking to get some guidance out of this process as to what may or may not work. So we're, we're looking at leasing properties from landowners. Uh, we're talking to some landowners about joint venturing where they might provide the land and, and we establish the trees on the land, uh, encouraging landowners to put trees in their own right. 
and we've also engaged, there's a number of independent private forest growers that have an interest in growing trees, but we've engaged with those groups. Um, we've often seen companies like ours as industrial plantation growers as distinct from, you know, independent growers. So we've engaged with those people to, um, to understand where they're at and, uh, and sort of encourage them to put trees in the ground and, as well. So there's a whole raft of options. There's no one size fits all. And now, more from Rod and Sam. So you're already witnessing a certain level of enthusiasm from forestry and the agricultural sector amongst the people who've been involved with this project. Uh, yeah, that's right. I think yeah, what's really needed is a, a clear statement from the industry about its willingness to shift from its past kind of high investment, highly efficient production models to different kinds of production systems that better integrate with agriculture. Yeah, they might lose a bit in terms of efficiency, but they might gain that in in terms of increased access to land and also a better working relationship with the farming community where trees are seen as an integral part of agriculture, not a competing land use. And uh, we feel that part of that, you know, what we've recommended in the project is that the industry players who want to promote this activity and engage in it need to be out there talking to farmers, going to farm field days, being part of the agricultural community and particularly working with the advisors to farmers. So you know, farming's changed a lot in Australia over the last 20 years. The size of farms have increased. Farm businesses become much more commercially focused. And they rely on independent advisors like agronomists and financial advisors to help them make good farming and land use decisions. We have argued that they should be you know, a real target for the industry, those advisor, that advisor community, uh, because they're going to be the ones that often need to be convinced that this is a good investment option for farmers. And to finish, Rod shared a bit about what to expect from the next stage of his team's work. Well, I'll just tell you briefly about a related project we've had with Victorian government funding. It's called the Growing Landscape Carbon Project. The project has involved developing a, an online platform which aims to bring together landowner, rural landowners who have land that they would like to plant trees on with investors in trees for different reasons. That might be timber companies, but it would also be uh, organisations like Greening Australia or... Um, catchment management authorities, other conservation groups that want to plant trees um, more for environmental and and conservation or or catchment reasons. And so the platform provides a base in which landowners can register their property and get information back on its potential for different tree growing purposes. And then they they can get information on the kinds of investors that are interested in growing trees in that area. Professor Rodney Keenan there of the University of Melbourne's School of Ecosystem and Forest Sciences. It's been fascinating to hear from Rod and his team about the work they've been doing and the potential positive outcomes, not only for the Australian forestry industry, but for agriculture too. We'll definitely be keeping an ear out to see how this one progresses. And that brings another episode of Woodchat to a close. We hope you found it interesting and that you'll join us again next time for more fascinating wood-related insights. 